Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Good morning. And it really is the morning while I'm recording. So if my voice sounds quiet or like it hasn't had enough coffee yet, that is all true. It feels really good to be recording this episode. And frankly, I wasn't sure I'd be able to make it happen this week, but it did. And I'm grateful. Um, Just a quick update if you missed my Instagram stories from this week. But last Saturday, we were coming home from a week in Florida with our family and we woke up in the middle of the night. We were halfway home in Memphis. Woke up in the middle of the night to our friend Sarah calling and saying that we had no power and a tree had fallen on our house. Now, for those of you who live in Tulsa, you know that we had like a major storm that night, like winds over 100 miles an hour. There was major damage all over the city. We were without power for about a week. And honestly, the last time I recall ever seeing tree damage this significant or ever going this long without power was back in 2007. And every Oklahoman remembers those ice storms, the ice storms of 2007. Anyway, I skipped over the bigger piece for our family. (laughs) We have a beautiful, large oak tree in our backyard. We think it's over 100 years old based on some funny little measurement that Dustin did (laughs) one time. Very accurate. And our yard is filled with trees. It's part of what we love about the house. We're tucked in the back of a cul-de-sac. We have big trees shading our house. It's cozy and charming. And anyway, the tree that we love so much dropped a major branch on the house, like two feet in diameter. The whole tree didn't fall, which was actually the case for many of our neighbors. Huge trees, like wildly pulled out by the roots. But it did drop a branch with the trunk that was huge and across the back of our whole house. So from what we can see right now, we've got seven holes in our roof, in our ceiling, in our kids' rooms, in the playroom, in our bathroom, and then it rained twice. So we can't live in our house for several months while we rebuild our home. Well, (laughs) why am I telling you all this? Um, Why does it matter for the podcast? Well, it's just simply me telling you that I'm a little frazzled right now. And isn't frazzled such a good word? (laughs) Here are some other words I thought of to describe things for us right now. We're safe, overwhelmed, thankful, and honestly, a little sad. This podcast has become part of the rhythm of my life, and it's not going anywhere. But as we move from my parents' home to an apartment downtown to an Airbnb, probably back to grandparents again at some point, I'm going to be schlepping my little microphone and laptop around with my Bible and my commentaries that are too heavy for travel, learning who has the best Wi-Fi and figuring out what it looks like to rework all of our rhythms. We can do it, but I'm publicly declaring that I'm frazzled because that feels authentic and necessary. So would you help me with the podcast by continuing to listen sharing it with other people, 
inviting people into your study of James or just simply stopping right now and saying a prayer that it would continue to do the work that God has for it. Okay, that's enough about me. Let's talk about James because this week's text is so lovely. It's exactly why we love James. And I've witnessed plenty of the concepts play out in real time, even this week, at the hands of my neighbors and friends and family. So today we're looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And here's a little treat for you. My darling Ella is reading scripture for us today. James 2, 14-26 What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, It is dead. But someone will say, You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when offered when he offered his son Isaac on the altar you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without the deeds is dead. Isn't there something just magical about hearing the words of scripture read by a child? I just love it. Okay. Let's start by working through our very first question. Anytime we read scripture, we ask the three questions. The first is, what does it say? So here's what I heard James saying in that passage. The first is he said, faith without actions is dead or useless. He uses meeting the physical needs of another person as an example of faith in action. He says, if you see someone without clothes or food and you only wish them well, then what good have you actually done? He says that some people will say they have faith, like the intellectual heady kind, like I do believe in God, but he argues that that's not any different than demons who also believe in God. He offers two historical examples for us of faith expressed through action. The first is Abraham, when he followed God's instructions and almost sacrificed his son Isaac. And the second is Rahab, and sometimes called Rahab the harlot, who hid Israelite spies in her home when they were trying to enter the promised land. We're going to talk more about her in a minute. 
And he argues that these are examples of people who truly believed, who had faith, because we can see by their actions. He ends by, faith without deeds is like a dead body with no spirit. Or as my sweet Ella said, faith without the deeds is dead. Woof. So that's pretty much what James has said to us. It's a pretty simple summary. But I want to hold the phone for a second and zoom in on verse 24, where he says, You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And this is tricky at first glance because, as many, many smart people before me have pointed out, James sounds like he's in direct conflict with what Paul argues in Romans. And I'm just wondering if anybody listening or anybody who's read this scripture before has thought about that, noticed it before. So I want to talk about it for a minute because I think it's interesting and important. In chapter three of Romans, where Paul says some pretty famous stuff like, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he also says this in verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Okay, so did you catch that? That's what Paul said. James has, remember, just told us that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith. So these two statements, both from revered men of the New Testament, sound like total opposites, right? James has said that it's action that justifies. Paul says it's faith. This is the perfect moment to stop and say that when I come across something like this in scripture that confuses me or raises more questions for me, the cue is to keep digging without fear, keep digging, and turn to trusted and tested sources. So for this, because I don't dare teach about Paul without some heavy backup, So for this, I used a commentary by Matthew Henry from the 16th century. If you've ever heard of Matthew Henry, um, then you know that he's very well-known, well-esteemed. He's been used by Charles Spurgeon, John Wesley, many theologians even still today. Google him. Um, His commentary is really rich, and the text is really tiny. (laughs) So to help us understand whether Paul and James are contradicting each other, let me just present you with what Matthew Henry had to say on the matter. So Henry says that Paul is speaking about works wrought in obedience to the law of Moses and before men's embracing the faith of the gospel. So in other words, Paul's audience is those who valued themselves so highly based on their works, their actions, or their legalism that they rejected the gospel of Christ. Henry goes on to say that James is speaking about works or actions done in obedience to the gospel as the fruit of sound believing in Jesus Christ. So in other words, James's audience is those who already claim to believe the gospel, and yet their faith, they need their faith to take action in the transformation of their lives so that others will know and see. Their faith is real because of their actions. Are you hanging with me? So said a simpler way, I think Henry is saying that Paul and James are speaking about the same faith, but different 
works. Paul's speaking about those who live good lives so they don't think they need the gospel and telling them that their actions are worthless if they don't profess Jesus as Lord. James is speaking to those who already claim to believe the gospel, and yet their lives don't bear any fruit, and he's telling them that the proof of their faith is in their transformed lives. So I'll leave you with this quote from Matthew Henry to ponder more on this topic, and I know that some of you might find this really interesting and want to dig deeper. Here's what Matthew Henry said to summarize the the distinction. Thus we see that our persons are justified before God by faith, but our faith is justified before men by works. And this is such a perfect segue into our second question because it already speaks to how much context matters in understanding scripture. So let's get to James. Why did it matter? Why did what James have to say, had to say about faith and action really matter? Okay, I have a few thoughts for you. The first is to remember that James was a devout Jewish man speaking to a largely Jewish audience, particularly those who have professed faith in Christ and are living in the context of the early church scattered all around. So when he says in verse 19, you believe there is one God, he's referencing the Shema, which is the famous Jewish prayer recited in the morning and the evening. It's sort of the centerpiece in the declaration of the Jewish faith. And it comes from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So James is pointing out that they may recite these prayers morning and night, but this proves nothing about their faith unless it's accompanied by actions. Continuing with this idea of a Jewish audience, James references two individuals whose faith was expressed through their action. And he starts with Abraham. And this is a slam dunk reference for a Jewish audience, right? Abraham is revered as the father of the Jewish faith. So of course, they're going to look to his life for wisdom. But it's actually Rahab the prostitute that really stands out to me in this context. I love that James used a woman, first of all. He jumps from Abraham to a woman, a Gentile, a Canaanite woman who were, they were enemies of Israel, and worst of all, a harlot, prostitute, as a model of faith and action. And that's really compelling to me. Like, we have to stop and think, like, it is interesting to me that James used this woman as an example. I can't help but think, like, what were the Jewish, the young Jewish men thinking, like, they revered James as their teacher and leader, and this is the example that they're that he's using, that he's holding out. But I also can't help but love this so very much. Doesn't it sound like Jesus who first proclaimed his mission to a disgraced woman at a well in the heat of the day? Why did it matter? Because I think James was extending the challenge of Jesus to live in the upside-down way of the kingdom to be fully immersed in head knowledge and faith, but even more to let it shake up their lives so that they didn't look like everyone else. So why does it still matter? The next question answers itself, doesn't it? I mean, it's pretty simple. Why does it still matter? 
In describing faith and actions working together, the message translation by Eugene Peterson calls it the seamless unity of believing and doing. I love that. And I can't help but wonder how many of us can earnestly say that there's seamless unity between what we profess to believe and how we actually live. Is there seamless unity between what people know of our faith and what people see of our faith? No wonder the world is often confused by Christians. Now, before we go too far down a shame rabbit hole, feeling terrible about how we have we need to get it right, let's just simply use today's words from James to soak in some gentle encouragement, a gentle nudge toward change. There's no condemnation for us, we know that, but there's a lot of wisdom. So I want to ask you to read it again on your own or listen to it on the app in your car and ask God to help you see where the seams between your believing and your doing need some mending. And that may be difficult for some. Sometimes that deep level thinking is really hard to do, especially if you're raising small children, you're up in the middle of the night, you've got to be at work at 7 a.m., or you're back living with your parents because a tree fell on your house. If that's difficult for you, here's a prayer for you to pray during the week. I have loved liturgies in the last year of my life, and I've heard a lot of really wise people describe them as a way of anchoring ourselves to truth that we sometimes need help articulating. So as we close today, my challenge again is to reread the text, pray on your own, or use this liturgy as you go about your week. God, you who are drawing all people to yourself, you who lived and breathed among us as a servant, help me to see where my actions are lacking. Give me boldness to step up. Help me to see where my actions are misshapen. Give me wisdom to be reformed. Help me to see where my actions are prideful. Give me humility to see things as they really are. Thanks for listening today. Next week, we're going to jump into chapter three of James. And if you enjoy the remembering interviews and you have not listened to the latest one with Amanda Brown, you are missing out. Truly, I'm not touting my own podcast here. Amanda's story is beautiful. Like, I'm going to go re-listen this week because we just all need to hear it. She does such a wonderful job telling it. So go do that if you haven't already. And I'll be back next week with episode five of eight in our summer morning series. Have a great week. Bye. Okay, we have not prepared for this question, but since Ella helped me with the scripture reading for today's episode, we're going to have an Ella moment at the end of the episode where I ask her, Ella, what is a book that you would recommend to any of my listeners or listeners' kids? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis Ooh. from the Chronicles of Narnia.
Ooh, that's a good one. Why did you pick that one? I don't know. It has a lot of basis on, like, the Bible. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, Aslan the Lion is supposed to be Jesus, and then there's, like, a resurrection and everything, which I think is extremely cool. Yeah, that is cool. Tell them about the Aslan Lion that we have in our backyard. It's a statue, and when we moved into that house, we just named it Aslan because it reminded me of Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia. That's right. It's a statue that the previous owners left us. Okay. Well, and we kept it, unlike <laughs> some of the other statues. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay. That's our reading recommendation from Ella. Hope you have a great week. Say bye. Bye.